Well, Jana, Joe, congratulations again on six years. We're thankful to have you here. You were just a kid when you came on staff. Jana was still in her middle 20s when she came on board, and she's not yet 30. I'm just kidding. Cross that line, haven't you? <laughs> I know. It's interesting how we are kind of pile our anniversaries together. We have two in February, two in November, and then Stephen is an outlier in July. So uh, kind of keep them together, but um, always fun to celebrate those anniversaries. And uh, how about Emily Bell? Where are you? Is Emily Bell here? Emily Bell is not here. Bad day to miss. Well, I want to give you a little story about that. Tell you what, I'll just skip it. We'll, 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 we'll move on. I'll tell you when they're here. That's, that'll be even better. I'll save it. Well, uh, also, I wanted to tell you before we begin officially here uh, with a message, uh, Mark Bateman passed away this week. And many of you recall uh, Bob and Juanel as the previous pastor who was here, a pastor emeritus. And this is their middle son, had been sick for a number of years, and he passed away this week. And uh, just a tremendous loss uh, for that family. And so we want to pray for them. Know that others of you are walking into these holidays with a sense of grief for someone that won't be sitting around your table at Thanksgiving. And uh, we want to just kind of voice a prayer for everybody. So let's pray together. Lord, we do know that as we come into the holiday season, so oftentimes it's the losses that we feel the most. And I pray for each family, each person that has experienced loss in this past year, in the past years. Lord, we know that grief is such a lengthy process, and so oftentimes uh, it lingers much longer than we wish, but it reminds us of the relationship that we shared. And so please minister your comfort to each and every person that feels that loss this day. And as they go into this season, Lord, that they would be sustained by your grace and your strength. We certainly pray for the Bateman family and only the two remaining children, but we pray that your ministry of uh, comfort would be upon them. Thank you for Mark's life and the lives that he touched and the way that he impacted so many. We pray for his family as they mourn the loss of their husband and their dad. We're grateful for the promise that we have of heaven for all who believe in you to know that the death is always, is always softened. The blow is always diminished by the reality that we can be with you forever. And we thank you for that promise. Speak to us now, we ask, as we move through this time in Christ's name. Amen. And hey, what about a shout out to the missions committee? Um, you know, that was a, what a, as you clap, reach for your wallet because. It's a lot of money, isn't it? What a great thing to give to. And uh, I was telling Jeff previously, you know, just that before last year, we kind of hovered around about $50,000 that we would give for Lottie Moon each year. And when we stretched ourselves to uh, what seemed like an impossible goal and we reached it, I was telling him that's a legacy of their granddaughter Lottie that will continue on. And, and the legacy is not only what happened last year, but you see what just happened? Our church said, why would we ever want to retreat and go back? We see what we can do, and so we will continue to give more each year than we did. Twice, more than twice as much as we've given in the past. 
And uh, as you think about that, I hope that you will give sacrificially because Lonnie Moon was uh, that lady that Janie was talking about, served over in China. She literally starved to death, giving away her food to the Chinese as they were going through famine, literally starved to death. So it's a reminder for us to sacrifice as we give. And then how many 18-wheelers does it take to carry away all of the money that we will spend for the holidays, remember? 265 18-wheelers filled with $100 bills. That's how much money we will spend during the holiday season. And I'm just thinking that just a little bit of that is what we can be giving to missions. The Lottie Moon goal, the last I saw, I think is $200 million dollars. A fraction of that. So we want to be a part of that. Well, with Thanksgiving ushering in this holiday season, we find ourselves with relatives that don't normally sit at our dining table. We may love them and wish we saw them more often. Or we might be thankful that they're seldom in our house. Regardless, when family gets together, there's always the potential for disagreements and conflict. And that's why it's prudent to follow the old maxim, choose your battles wisely. Paul begins his conclusion much like a minister in which he will say in conclusion and then continues on for some time. He begins his conclusion in 1 Timothy chapter 6 with that very thought. Pick your battles wisely. The very essence of that insight is that we will face more battles then we can handle. So we need to limit our participation in warfare. And it indicates that we have more choices than to fight every battle that comes our way. Fighting is not optional because we were born on a battlefield. War is all around us, so we must decide which battles to engage. Paul counsels Timothy to pick his battles wisely in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 through 16. So let's eavesdrop together on that conversation. If you were unable to bring your Bible today, you can find it on page 1848 in the Pew Bible. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 through 16. And as you're turning there, I looked over here and saw David. David sent me a text right before the service. Last count was 146 boxes for Operation Christmas Child. Is that right? For virtual as well as physical boxes? And what was our goal? Uh, our goal was to count the, the online number of people, uh, 204. So we are short by a bunch. You could pack a virtual box all day today. Tell us quickly how to do that. Or go to SamaritansPurse.com. Is it com? If you want to do that, meet David at the communication center after the service. How's that? David will be there. Dave, stand up so everybody can see who you are. He's the guy in charge. He and Lisa each year carry the banner for Operation Christmas Child as well as Compassion. Thank you guys for what you're doing. And the Compassion catalogs are back there if you'd like to give that. Let's read 1 Timothy chapter 6, 11 through 16 as we eavesdrop on godly counsel from Paul to Timothy. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. 
Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus, who will testify, who, who, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession. I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. There is a battle worth fighting. Fight the good fight. The instruction comes at the, this instruction comes at the, as bookends of Paul's guidance for Timothy. We see it here at the end of the book in 1 Timothy chapter 6, but we saw it also at the beginning, back in chapter 1, verse 8. And when a thought is repeated at the beginning and the end of a book, we can be certain that the author thought it was pretty important. And in Scripture, we know that God is the true author, so we need to pay close attention to what's being said. Fight the good fight. There is a battle worth fighting. These verses remind us the Christians are in a fight with dual consequences. We're fighting for our faith, and we're fighting for the faith. You recall from Jude, chapter, Jude verse 3, one of our previous series, in which we were reminded to contend for the faith, definite article. There is one specific faith to contend for, and that's faith in Jesus Christ. The faith in our own lives, to believe that Jesus Christ is the only one who can give us eternal and abundant life, and the faith that is presented and offered to all of humanity through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. This means for us that passivity is not an option. On June 5th, 1944, the day before D-Day, when the Allied forces would storm the beaches of Normandy, General George Patton gave a speech to the Third Army in which he said these words, I don't want to get any message saying I am holding my position. We are not holding. We are advancing constantly, and we are not interested in holding on to anything. Our basic plan of operation is to advance and to keep on advancing regardless of whether or not we have to go over, under, or through the enemy. That mindset and determination led to victory. And Christians are called to think the same way. A few years before writing Timothy, Paul wrote to the church that Timothy pastored in Ephesus. We know it as Ephesians. In chapter 6, verse 12, Paul stated very forcefully that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but is against the very forces of evil in the heavenly places. It's not a physical battle fought with military strength, but with spiritual weapons that only God can supply. This is not a float down the lazy river. It's a battle of eternal consequence, and it's worth fighting because God expects us to and not just to hold our position, but to keep on advancing his kingdom. To retreat is to concede defeat. 
this battle that's worth fighting is between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan, and their objectives are extremely clear. This past week, if you were reading through the daily Bible reading calendar, in Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11, God declares that he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but his desire is for all to repent and to turn to him. It's a message that is repeated in that chapter because we heard it first in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 23. Two times the prophet has given us those words. God takes no delight in the death of the wicked, but he desires for all to repent. That's the battle that God wants us to be fighting. But in contrast, in John chapter 10, verse 10, it shows us that Satan has a Nero complex. He only wants to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And Peter, as you recall, fell prey to the strategies of Satan, and he called him out in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, saying that he is like a roaring lion seeking someone, anyone, to devour. So knowing that, we must be well-prepared and well-trained for a continuous global conflict. And Paul outlines our necessary, necessary arsenal. Go back uh, to verse 11. But he says, he says, but you, man of God, but you, what does that mean? Remember, he's been talking about the false teachers and what they desired and what they pursued. And he says, but you, you, you don't do that. You're the man of God. Instead, you are to flee from all of this. And he wasn't chastising Timothy because he wasn't doing that. He was saying, Timothy, just remember what we're called to do. But you, man of God, flee from all of this, all of that pursuit after ungodly things, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Paul is kind of reiterating and paraphrasing what he said in Galatians chapter 5, talking about the fruit of the Spirit. As we think about this fight that we're in, whether we want to be or not, and we've talked a little bit about this when we talked about it back in chapter 1, we need to remember that the first piece of ar armor, our first piece of armor is our identity. But you, man of God, when Timothy heard those words, he was reminded of the times in the Old Testament when godly men, those that represented God, were called the man of God. And he says, you need to be reminded of your identity. You are the man of God. You are a child of Christ. If you're a Christian, you are a child of God. You have been adopted into his family, and you are part of the winning team. Hard to believe that just in a couple of months, we will watch the Super Bowl as the NFL season will draw to a close. And each year, the Lombardi Trophy is given to the winning team at the Super Bowl. It's a four-month process of that trophy being created and built. And there's a new one for every single Super Bowl. But when they do that, they don't affix the name of the winning team on the trophy. Because that's not a determined until the end of the game. Friends, as Christians, I want to tell you that our name is already inscribed on the winner's trophy. So we can proceed victoriously even though the battle is still raging. 
Could you imagine showing up for the Super Bowl? You know how they have that media week and all these different things are going and they have the Lombardi trophy and they parade all the players by and they all look at it and they all do some kind of goofy thing like, you know, it's theirs, but they have no idea who's going to get it. They can only hope. Could you imagine showing up for the Super Bowl on one of those teams and you walk over to see it and it has your team's name inscribed on it? How would you play? How would you act? How would you live? See, friends, that's what we are called to experience as Christians. Going back to D-Day, one of the, on the 50th anniversary of D-Day, they interviewed, well, there's, a, there's an interview all about World War II, but, but one particular interview picked out a soldier on the ground and a pilot in the air. And when they interviewed the soldier and said, what did you think on that day? As they were coming in with all of the arsenal coming down upon them, he said, there's no way we can win. But then they interviewed the pilot that was flying over and saw all of the troops and how they were coming in. And the pilot said, I saw that there's no way we could lose. You see, the perspective that we have as Christians is there's no way we can lose because we have already won. And that's why Paul would write to the church at Rome, Romans chapter 8, verse 37, we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. So the first piece of honor, armor is to embrace your identity as a Christian. Some of us walk as if we are somehow not included in the family. Or the victory isn't really settled yet. But when Jesus Christ yelled from the cross to tell us die, he was saying, the victory is secure. Your name with mine is on the winner's trophy. The second that he gives is to flee from the traps of Satan. Flee from all of this. What was he talking about? Flee from all of the ungodliness that you see in the false teachers that aren't pursuing God, but they're pursuing worldly gain, fame, recognition, honor, respect. And they were doing it in ungodly ways. You see, there's traps that are laid out before us by, sin, by Satan and by sin. And Scripture says that if we want to fight effectively in this battle, we must flee from those traps of sin and Satan. Do you remember Genesis chapter 39, verse 12, tells a story about Joseph when Potter, Potiphar's wife was trying to seduce him. And I think that story has been so often misconstrued that, you know, she's this, this nasty, ugly old hag, and, and no wonder he ran because she was so ugly. To the contrary, she was probably beautiful. And when he ran, he knew that if I don't run, something bad is going to happen. And so the only thing that he could think of is, I've got to get out of here as quickly as possible. And for Christians, we need to do the same thing. It's not to approach sin and see how close we can get before it takes us down. But as soon as we recognize it, don't walk, don't jog, but run away from it. Flee. The word that is used there in the original language is fugitive. Be a fugitive from sin. Be on the, on the lamb, running away from sin. And then thirdly, pursue. That, that literally means a continuous pursuit of something in which you constantly run after it. It's, um, some of you are in the sporting world, and, and you know what your coaches used to tell you, 
because most of us are former athletes. But what do they say about the whistle? You go hard until the whistle blows. And that's what he's talking about here. Go hard until the whistle blows. And what are you pursuing? Righteousness. What is righteousness? It's what God gave us through Jesus Christ. We're to pursue what we've been given rather than to shirk it to the side, but we're to pursue it. Godliness is to be everything that is God is. Faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Again, it's that list of the fruit of the Spirit. These are godly things. It means to pursue God in His kingdom. You know, all of that may sound a little bit ambiguous to us. Say, okay, yeah, pursue godliness. What does that mean? John Stott has helped us to understand this with a statement about this verse. He says, we are simply to run from evil as we run from danger. And we understand that, right? Buildings on fire. How many of us stand around? Man, well, let's see what happens. We run from danger. You're out in the Walmart parking lot with all your Christmas shopping. Somebody pulls a gun. What do you do? I don't know about you, but I'm going to run, right? I mean, take off. Somebody is about to hurt you. You run. We understand that we run from danger. I'm a little bit concerned about you guys. But I'm, I'm not really sure. He says we're simply to run from evil as we would run from danger. We got that picture, right? And to run after goodness. How do we do that? Kind of like a Sunday school answer. What does that mean? To run after goodness as we run after success. Oh, we know how to do that. We put all of our time and energy and focus, and we just keep on and keep on and keep on. He says, run after godliness like you run after success. That is, we have to give, he says, that is, we have to give our mind, time, energy to both flight and pursuit. See, part of the Christian calling is to run from sin and Satan and run to God. James 4, 7. Recall when we were going through the series and the study of that, what does it say about Satan? Resist him. Resist him and he will flee from you. So we run from Satan or we make sure that we are resisting him enough that he runs from us. The calling is simply for us to run from Satan's house and run to God's house because we know what exists in both households. Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will take care of itself. So there is a fight worth fighting, and there is a commander worth serving. Look at verses 13 through 16, repeating what we read earlier. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, the only way that anything exists is because of God, and that's why Satan is so intent on destroying everything, because every piece of life reminds him of God's creative power. And of Jesus Christ, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. What was the good confession that Jesus said? The example that he gave us, which Pontius Pilate, as you recall, asked him the question, are you the king of the Jews? And he responded, what you said is true. I am. 
But Pilate was asking, who's really in charge here? These guys that have brought you to me, these religious leaders, or are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, it's bigger than that. I'm in charge of you too. And he was identifying himself as the one who was in charge, even though he knew that it would cost him his life. The good confession is, I will stand for godliness regardless of what it means as a consequence to me. Paul continues, I charge you, keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a doctrinal pursuit that the Western church has lost. Is this anticipation of Christ's return. I want Christ's return, but I want to make sure that I'm able to do everything that I get to do first. I remember as a young Christian, seminary student, I would say, Lord, I'd love for you to return, but I'd like to get married first. What is it you'd like to do before he comes back? That bucket list, you know, just before you come back, because I know when you come back, everything's not going to be as fun. And the early church looked at the appearing of Christ and saying, that is when the best begins to happen. And he says, for you to stay faithful until Christ returns, do not give in, give up, concede ground until Christ returns. In that time, God will bring about in his own time. So whenever someone tells you when Jesus is coming, just remember this verse, God will come in his own time. Please don't spend all your days trying to figure all of the end times out because I guarantee you, you will probably reach your end times before the end times happen trying to do that. God, the blessed and only ruler. Now, who is he writing to? Church at Ephesus, key political city in what empire? The Roman Empire that had a Caesar that said he alone was Lord. And Paul thumbs his nose in the middle of all that and says, Caesar may think he's in charge, but he's only a puppet in the hand of God. Because only God is ruler. The King of kings and the Lord of lords who alone is immortal, who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. This last week, President Biden met with Xi Jinping, president of China. So two presidents of two major powers in the world. But what was interesting as they met is neither one of them was in charge of the other's country. They could only make suggestions, but they didn't have the authority to tell the other one what to do. They could even make threats, thinking that somehow that was necessary to voice their agenda. But neither was in charge. But Christ, as Paul is reminding us and reminding Timothy, this is why we fight the good fight, because Jesus Christ is sovereign over the past, the present, and the future. Just think about it for a minute. Whoever wins the 2024 election, so many people are stressed about. We don't even know who's running yet. Whoever wins the 2024 election, I will guarantee you one thing. Whoever it is will be subservient to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. They might be called 
the leader of the world. But they are not. There's only one. I can't imagine, I, I imagine just what happened that here is God making this statement toward the end of Paul's life. And it would be decades later that John would write that great piece of literature, the Revelation, that piece of God's Word. And, and I wonder if he thought back to what Paul said. He said, oh yeah, King of kings, Lord of lords. And he noted that, but he also noted that what he saw was the tattooed, and this is not a mandate to get a tattoo, tattooed on his thigh, King of kings, Lord of lords. Revelation 21, 23 talks about the fact that God stands in unapproachable light. This is a commander worth serving. Last month, you recall that we had the partial solar eclipse, and we were up in Dallas, and as we were coming out to our car, I noticed looking down on the, on the, the ground that all the, the shadows of the leaves look kind of weird. Remember that on the solar, on the, the, the partial eclipse? And it's just, it's kind of weird to see the sickles down there in the ground. And, and so, you know, I'd read all the stuff, you know, don't look at the sun. But I'm an idiot. And I just thought, you know, if it's almost covered, I'll just glance up at for a second. And as I started to look up, just for a moment, I, I looked into the sun, which is stupid. Don't do that. Do not do that at home. And all of a sudden, it's just like my eyes were on fire. And we know from scientific studies, I don't know who it was that experimented long enough to do this, but that you will go blind in fewer than two minutes staring at the sun. You will have permanent, irreversible damage. And here is Paul saying that God lives in inapproachable light because that's who he is of his holiness. And he's the one who created the sun that we can't even look at. And we want to call God the man upstairs? Who is this God? I was reading in a comic strip that helped me to think theologically not too long ago. It was Zitz. And one of the, the player, one of the characters in there is Pierce, who has absolutely no concept of sports whatsoever, and some unique twist of fate. He's called upon to coach the football team, and they can tell he knows nothing about football, and he finally gives them this little pep talk to say that everything he doesn't know about football could fill the internet. And then the players come back and say, two internets. Friends, as I saw that, I thought, when we think of God, what we don't know about God and what we don't understand about God could fill a trillion internets. And so Paul is trying to give us a glimpse of who God is so that we will see that he's worthy of our full surrender to him. Oftentimes I hear people trying to motivate and inspire younger people. They will say, if you were 50, what would you say to your younger self? I've couched it here that you've heard me say a number of times, I call it the 100-year question. What would you say to yourself 100 years from now, looking back? 
if you have that chance, time travel, you're in heaven, you have the chance to speak back, it's a wonderful life, you have a chance to speak back to yourself right now, what would you say? Paul is saying, flee from ungodliness and pursue God and his godliness. See, these are not just orders for elite Christians, as if that were a category. There are no elite Christians. We're all Christians called to the same task, to follow hard after him. These are commands for every Christian, and one day we will answer for them. So let me encourage all of us as followers of Christ. No matter what Jesus commands, let your response always be the same to your commander. And what would that be? Sir, yes, sir. And if you're not yet a Christian, that means you haven't said yes to God, but today you can. You can completely surrender your life to Jesus Christ, and in surrendering, you gain full victory. Friend, you are loved by God more than you can imagine. But your sin, it will take you out for eternity. You are separated from a holy God, and that's why Jesus came. He's the only one who can make us right with him. And we can be changed through Christ. Not only can things in our life change, but here's the real change. We are changed from death to life. The Bible says we are dead in our sins. And not until we receive Christ do we gain life. And that's eternal life. When Paul was talking about eternal life here, he's not talking about just the quantity of it, but the quality of it. We can have that by asking God to forgive us of our sins and be our Lord and Savior. If you've never done that, I'd invite you to join me in this prayer. For all of us as Christians, however God has spoken to you, would you respond to him now as we pray together? Lord, we thank you for this passage of Scripture that Paul is communicating to Timothy with no idea that millennia later, Christians will be finding encouragement and guidance from it. We pray that that's happened here today, that your word is spoken to us in a rich and meaningful way that we have come to see you in, in a better, deeper, greater light today. And to recognize that whether we like it or not, we're in a fight, that we have the chance to be in a good fight and to serve a commander that is worthy of all of our service. Lord, I pray for my friends now that in this room and online that have never received you as Lord and Savior, we pray that they would recognize their desperate need to be taken from the death that their sin is bringing to life that you offer. Might they voice a prayer similar to this? Lord Jesus, I recognize that I'm a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have, and I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. Lord, thank you that as our Lord and Savior, there is no one else we would rather serve, no one, other, no one else that we would rather follow. Thank you for being that kind of God. We love you and praise you. Just as Paul said with his great doxology, to you belong all praise, honor, glory, might. All that is worthy of praise belongs to you. 
Christ's name we pray. Amen. Love you all. Thanks for listening. And if you feel like you need to respond at this point, know that there'll be deacons and their wives standing at each one of these aisles uh, during this last song. I'll be standing over here at the cross. You can also meet us back at the communication center after the service and just use this communication card to put your name and phone number and we'll be in touch with you. But let's respond to God as we need. Some of you may want to pray at the altar. However God leads you, let's respond now. be seated as we are going to have our business meeting now. Let's get started with the business meeting. Um, everybody have a copy of the agenda? On the back page is the, uh, the minutes from